Thank you. It's good to be with you all this morning, um, especially on this Christmas morning. Thanks for letting me come and uh, share God's word with you. Um, hope everyone had has had a good morning up to this point. Uh, maybe you've got some festivities planned for the rest of the day. I hope that um, you can get some good time with family and perhaps some friends and um, enjoy the gifts that God has given us. So this morning, um, we are going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, um, and we're going to be in ver- chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Um, so you can start turning there um, as... Uh, as I introduce us a little bit. So as, as Rich said, my name is Jacob. Um, I'm a campus minister with Reform University Fellowship at the College of Charleston downtown. Um, and uh, I'd love to meet you, love to hear your story, hear about um, the ways that God is at work in your life or just get to greet you um, in his name, um, if not that. So um, this morning I'm going to read our text for us from Matthew chapter 2, um, and then I'll pray for us. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for um, the stories that it relays to us, um, especially this morning, as it tells us of the birth of your son, Jesus, and the events that followed thereafter. Lord, I pray this morning that you would uh, illuminate this text to us, that you would open our eyes, that we can see um, new meaning for this text for our lives this morning. We pray that you would do this by your spirit. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Um, So we're in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Probably some of you have varying levels of familiarity with the Gospel of Matthew. Um, It was likely written originally in its original context to the Jewish people. And for that reason, throughout the book of Matthew, there's lots and lots of kind of references to the Old Testament, um, to kind of prophecies and laws that are found there. And uh, the author, Matthew, was trying to show his audience, the people that were going to read this this gospel, that Jesus is actually a fulfillment, um, that he is kind of the culmination of the Old Testament. Um, I think that in our kind of modern theology, the way that we think about God and the Bible, uh, 
we can often overlook the kingship of Jesus. Um, this morning we're talking about this passage and our, the title is Christ our King. So it's my kind of hypothesis to you that Christ is our King. Maybe some of you are aware of that. Maybe others of you aren't. I think oftentimes in our theology we talk about um, the atonement, right? The way that Christ atones for our sins. We talk about salvation, how he is our savior, right? He's the one who saves us. But often we actually forget that Jesus is our king. Um, in the same way, kind of at Christmas time, right? We can kind of lose the message of Christmas, right? We think about the baby Jesus, or we think about, you know, the nice story of the shepherds and the, and the wise men. Um, and then even, you know, we kind of get in, uh, we get caught up in these rituals that we have, right? Whether it's, you know, an Advent wreath or, um, or, you know, Advent calendar or kind of these family traditions. Every year we do this. Every year we do that. Every Christmas Eve we do that. Um, and we get caught up in these things, um, but we forget about the true message of uh, the Bible and of this story. And this morning, I want to submit to you that that is Jesus's kingship. And Jesus' kingship is not just for the people who receive this gospel. Um, and it's not something that they forgot about. Um, Jesus' kingship is not something that the Jewish people who received this text would have forgot about. Because before Jesus was born, there was a long period of silence from God. Um, some of you may know this as the intertestamental period. So actually, we're right, right here in the Bible. So we got Malachi right here. And then we've got these blank pages, and then we've got the New Testament. And so what that represents is there were, were actually 400 years after the writing of the last book, um, the last prophet, prophet from the Old Testament and the events that we find here. Um, and those years were characterized by a silence from God. Um, he didn't speak to his chosen people. He didn't, he didn't reveal himself in the ways that he had up to that point. And as God's people, as the chosen people waited for God to send um, his Messiah, right, their kind of perceptions, their thoughts about what this Messiah would look like were kind of changing, right? They were, they were, um, they were growing. And uh, there were these different religious sects at the time um, that Matthew was written, and each different sect had a different expectation of what this king would look like. Some looked for kind of a king, a political figure, Others um, actually looked for two messiahs. Um, some actually, they had kind of had their hopes quenched. They, their hopes were gone. They thought that the messiah was not actually going to come. But whatever these, these groups expected, uh, we can know now that their expectations did not match the reality um, of who this king would actually be. They looked for a king to come. But our passage this morning will tell us uh, what kind of king that's going, he was going to be. And like, our, like the characters in the story, like the people who receive the book of Matthew, um, we also are presented with the king of the universe. And on this Christmas morning, we're presented with this king. And so we need to know what this king will look like and how we should respond to him, especially if he doesn't match our expectations, our hopes. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about how Christ is the king, and we're going to look mainly at the Magi, um, and we're going to look at what happens in their search, and then what happens when they find the thing they're searching for. So the search and the thing searched for. So first, the search. Um, uh, the version that we have uh, that I was reading from, the ESV, calls these men the wise men. Uh, but the original word is the Magi, and some translations leave those kind of untranslated, so... 
I'm going to, I'm going to refer to them as the Magi. Um, and no doubt, probably you have some preconceived notions about who these men were. Um, maybe you have some questions about who the Magi were. Maybe um, you have heard them referred to as the wise men or the three kings. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting that uh, there's no reason for us to actually believe that these three men were actually kings. There's nothing that tells us that in the text. Um, and it's also interesting to know that there might not have been three of them, right? We've heard, we know the whole song, We Three Kings, but there might not have been three of them, and they probably weren't kings. Um, they did bring three gifts, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there were three of them. Um, the Magi were uh, kind of a mix of astronomers and astrologers, and they were likely from somewhere in Babylon. Uh, and they were advisors to the king, but they probably weren't kings themselves. So uh, what's important to know about the Magi is that generally their occupation, their job in the kingdom was to watch the stars for movements and for signs. Um, they were looking for a sign from the stars. That was what their that was what their whole job was to look for that. Um, so in verse one, we can find that it says that uh, these men came from uh, uh, east of Jerusalem, um, and like I said, they were from probably likely from Babylon. So it took them it was about eight hundred miles the journey from where they were to where they were going, and. Of course, if you think about an 800-mile trip, maybe some of you took that long of a trip or are about to take that long of a trip. Um, that's, not, that's not a picnic today, right? That's a long car drive. It's kind of a grueling flight if you're flying that far. But it definitely was no picnic then. Um, it was, it's estimated they probably, took, they probably traveled about 20 miles a day. So this would have taken them 40 days of kind of grueling travel through the desert to get to where they were going. Um, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been a cheap endeavor to kind of, in that day, go on a long trip. It's not cheap for us today either. Um, and they would have, they would have traveled on these camels, right? They would have been riding on camels, which maybe some of you have ridden on camels that come find me after, but I've never ridden on a camel, but I can't imagine it's the most comfortable way to travel, especially if you're traveling 800 miles. <clears throat> but something was drawing these men, um, to Bethlehem, to Jerusalem. Um, they followed this star and it brought them to Jerusalem. And then once they arrived there, they inquired for more instructions. So they met with Herod. Um, they met with the uh, king of the Roman government in Israel. And then uh, in meeting with him, they found a little bit more information. So in verse 5, um, the chief priests and scribes kind of give this answer to the Magi. They give their answer that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, according to the prophecies. And then they quote the Old Testament. Uh, they quote Micah 5, chapter 2, and verse 6. Um, right, they say, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The prophecy says that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. So they give that answer. The, 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 the scribes and the, and the priests knew their Bibles. They knew the answer to the question, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem, they knew the answer. And it's really fascinating to me that they do know the answer, right? They give the answer of where Jesus is going to be born. Uh, but it's also fascinating that these ones, right, the scribes, the priests, the ones that know the scriptures, they're the ones that should be following this, this prophecy. They're the ones that should be seeking out, looking for the stars, seeking out this, the one that was to be born. Um, they should be following the star to Jesus. And so it really is crazy when we kind of step back and realize that the ones who obey, the ones who follow this prophecy are the four, these foreign magi, these foreign astrologers who were looking in the sky 
and who practice, likely practiced kind of a pagan religion, they're the ones that go and seek and find um, the Messiah. And as we turn to application um, of this, of the search, to what this passage might mean for our lives, I wonder where it is that we tend to write off people um, because of their background, the same way that, that the Magi would have been written off because of their background, um, or write them off because we don't expect something from them. Uh, maybe it's uh, that homeless person who is sleeping on King Street in one of the storefronts. Maybe it's someone in your neighborhood who doesn't look or think like you. Maybe it's someone who has different political opinions than you. Maybe you write them off. Maybe you actually write off the one, those people that look just, that do look just like you. The ones who, uh, kind of are most similar to you. Sometimes that I find myself writing off people that I'm most similar to. Um, and I have the least grace for them. Maybe you, uh, you look down on yourself. You despise kind of your own upbringing, the ways that you, um, were raised up, the way, the places where you came from. Whoever it might be for you, I want to encourage us this morning to try to get past those first impressions, to have the same heart um, that God had for our world in the incarnation. Uh, because in the incarnation, he sent his son into the world, um, and he would, offer, he would ultimately offer um, him up as a sacrifice for us on the cross. This morning, we can see that, the, that these magi... Uh, would, would not be the ones that we would expect to follow the star and find Jesus. They would be the kinds of people that we would quickly write off in our own lives. But as we look at our passage, as we consider the Magi, we can find that they actually give hints to the coming uh, kind of world kingship of Jesus. Because the Magi aren't Jewish scholars, right? They're not, in our, in our day, the equivalent of a pastor or someone who would write kind of a theological book on, sub, on a subject. The Magi are unexpected and foreign. And our passage is showing us that Jesus' kingship is concerned with the world, not just Israel. The takeaway is this. God uses unexpected people. God uses unexpected people. Um, in the book of Hosea, chapter 2, verse 23, it says this. Um, this is... Um, God's saying, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Those that are far off, those that we don't expect are the very people that God uses. The ones whose names are no mercy and not my people are actually shown mercy and are engrafted into God's people. So let's now turn to the Magi's response when they come in contact with the king when they find the thing that they were looking for. So um, the Magi's response. In, in verse 11, when they reach the end of kind of their quest, when they come across the thing that they were looking for, they fall on their faces and worship. And I just love the simplicity of this. Uh, because if it were us today, right, we'd probably want to, um, you know, we'd have, probably have questions we want answered. We'd probably, you know, at least want to snap a picture or, you know, film a quick TikTok or something. Um, but these men fall on their faces and worship. You know, we could even expect them to kind of be self-congratulatory, like, we did it, we found it, we reached the end of our quest, right? It was a long 800 miles. But no, they fall on their faces and worship. When presented with the king that they've been searching for, the object of this journey, 
All that is left for them is to worship him. And then in verse 12, we see their next reaction, which probably a lot of you are familiar with, right? The Magi bring their gifts. They bring the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. And I'd imagine you maybe throughout your years have heard explanations of what those gifts are, right? Uh, What they represent. Maybe you've heard a version like this, that the gold is for royalty, the incense is for deity, and the myrrh is for the burial of Jesus. In my opinion, I think it's kind of too much to ask of the passage, Uh, but there's a couple things we can say about the gifts. We can say this, that they were costly, grand gifts. Gold was a royal metal. It wasn't common. It was normally reserved for royalty, for kings. We can also say that frankincense and myrrh were some of the very costliest spices in that day. These gifts were generous. They conveyed the deep respect and honor that the Magi wanted to display to the newborn king. So when we try to determine what this passage um, means for us um, as a whole, it's helpful in my in my conception to step back and look at the whole gospel of Matthew and try to make connections about themes or emphases that we might find there. So in this, mor- this morning, I'm going to uh, say, I-, I think it's helpful for us to turn to the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, very last chapter. Um, and I'm going to read a couple of verses there from verses 16 and 17. It says this, uh, now, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. An observation from that, um, as we think about a theme of the book of Matthew, is worship, right? We, we were in Matthew 2, the beginning of the book. Now we're in Matthew 28, the end of the book. And what do we find? We find worship at the beginning of the book and worship at the end of the book. Some scholars have, have pointed out this very fact that worship is one of the main themes of uh, this gospel story and indeed the life of Jesus uh, itself. Um, one of the main points that you would understand if you were receiving this in Jesus' day is this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this baby in the manger, is to be worshipped. The gospel begins with these kind of foreign you know, astrologers Worshipping Jesus, and then it ends with his disciples, his closest friends, worshipping Jesus, falling down and worshipping him. So what do we do when we are presented with the king? We fall on our faces and we worship him. So the question that follows, at least in my mind, is well, then what is worship? How do we worship? Uh, why do we do it? And I found a quote um, about worship that I think is really helpful. Um, it says this, When people continually and consistently refuse to worship this God, which, of course, is the the God that we find here. When people refuse to worship God, they progressively reflect his image less and less. Instead, they reflect the images of what they are worshiping. Since all else other than the true creator God is heading for death, this means that they buy into a system of death. Thus, failure to worship the God revealed in Jesus leads by one's own choice to an eventual erasing of that which makes us truly human. Worship is acknowledging that we belong body and soul to God. He made us, and when we worship him, we actually become more and more human. Um, We kind of live into our purpose. And this is not often how I think of worship. Maybe, Maybe that's true of you as well. But I imagine that when the Magi were found themselves face down in the dirt, in front of this baby, 
um, in front of Jesus, that they felt more human than they ever had in their whole lives. Is that true for us as well this morning? So uh, where are we with our story? The Magi search for the king, they find him, and then they worship him. I think it'd be helpful to close with a couple thoughts about what Jesus' kingship means for our world today. One other quote, it says this, um, Every expectation is fulfilled in Jesus. Not only that of the Old Testament, but also the expectation of the whole natural world as well. Here in, in this baby boy is the world king whom all await. Jesus' kingship does fulfill the Old Testament. But Jesus' kingship also actually fulfills creation. It fulfills this world that is around us that we inhabit. He's not just king of the Jews. He's king of all things. Um, again, not to put too fine a point on it, but this has implications for our lives in a few ways as well. Um, first implication, besides maybe a couple of us, I don't know all of you and your ethnicities uh, intimately, but uh, many of us in this room, I would hazard to guess, are not the people who would have been anxiously awaiting the coming of the Messiah, right? We are not, many of us are not Jewish. Uh, we, are, we are more like the Magi than we are the Jews. We are, we are Gentiles. We are, um, it is a gracious gift that God um, would have engrafted us into his people and to make his promises for us as well. And um, because of that fact, I think that this should humble us, that we, like the Magi, are actually joined to Jesus and, and, and joined with his life, death, and resurrection in a way that we wouldn't have expected if we were alive at this time. So that's first implication. Second implication, we must be about the business of telling others about this good news. If we imagine kind of, you know, the the, the uh, conclusion of this story, right? The Magi, after they worship Jesus, they probably go back to Babylon. Um, I can't really imagine that they would go about their lives the way that they were doing it before. Um, and I, I, I'd imagine that when we, when we find ourselves in heaven, we're going to meet people uh, that these Magi told about what happened, this amazing thing that happened to them um, when they went to this far-off country. Uh, we're going to meet believers who came to faith because of their testimony. And I think, don't we want that same thing to be true of us? Um, that we have been transformed um, in front of God's Son. And uh, don't, we want to, that, don't we want that to shape our lives in the same way that we imagine it shaped the Magi's lives? Thirdly, third implication, uh, we must acknowledge and get on board with the fact that God works in unexpected ways through unexpected people. And I think this is a, this can be a check on our own kind of comfortable way of viewing the world. It's a call for us to reach across the aisle, both proverbial and literal, right? When you, when you come and greet people, it's you greet kind of your section, reach across the aisle. Um, go across train tracks. Lean over kind of the cubicle, the walls that, whether again, proverbial or little cubicles in your life. Um, take out your headphones, take out your earbuds, reroute your morning run, wherever you, wherever you go when you exercise, reroute those things, um, forsake memberships in certain clubs in order to bring God's reign and rule to all nations. God works in unexpected ways through unexpected people. 
in the beginning of our passage, uh, Herod is referred to as Herod the king. And interestingly enough, after the Magi worship Jesus, Herod is not referred to as a king again in the Gospel of Matthew. And I think it's maybe right to think of our passage as uh, the coronation of the new king. No longer is Herod the king. Jesus is king now. But this is not a king that we are used to or a king that we would expect. This is a baby king, a king who didn't come with violence but submission. King Jesus' reign subsumes all other reigns, even this mighty Roman emperor, um, and even King Herod pale in comparison to this king. What will your reaction be to this king? Will you fall on your faces and worship? Will you take a long, arduous journey to see him? Will you bring your finest gifts and, and lay them at his feet? As we think about um, this kind of Christmas season, the Advent season, the, this Sunday being the kind of culmination of that, um, we find not exactly what we might expect. In many ways, we are like these magi. We approach Christmas Day through the season of Advent, and we might kind of expect this grand revelation. We might expect this bold declaration of who this king is and what he will accomplish in his life. But what we're presented with instead is a baby boy who was born into humble circumstances. Yet this morning, we've heard that this baby boy is the king of all things, the king of the universe, that he has come and taken on flesh to inaugurate his kingdom, to begin his kingdom in our world, and to bring reconciliation and healing to us and to this world. It's my hope that this morning we can marvel at the humility of this king, the ways that he surprises us, the ways that he doesn't live up to kind of our worldly expectations. Life with and in him does not always look like victory, like vindication, but often it looks more like suffering like bearing with. It's my hope, it's my prayer that we may seek more and more to embrace this unexpected king. The king who is coming, the king who's coming caught the attention of these foreign magi, these foreign astrologers. And may our response to him mirror theirs. May we seek him out, may we worship him, and may we give him all that we have. Would you pray with me? Our Father, it feels strange to ask you that you would help us to be more like these magi, these foreign um, pagan men who, uh, who likely worshipped other gods up to this point. But I do pray that you would, that we would uh, look more like these magi, these men who um, sought you out, who went on a journey to find you, um, who fell on their faces and worshipped you when they, when they found you, and who gave, gave your son... Um, all that they had. Lord, would that be true of us? Um, would that be true of um, our families? Uh, Lord, would you do this, this uh, miracle in us? Lord, it's a miracle that these men found your son, and we pray that you would work a similar miracle in our own lives. Um, we ask this in your son's name. Amen.